Hello, everybody. Welcome to Epic. If you are new with us, my name is Trent. I'm one of the pastors here. Whether you're new on campus or maybe new joining us online, we are in part two of a series called Issues. And uh, if you have issues, you're in a good place. So welcome. Uh, the great thing about this series is it, it applies to all of us. It applies whether you're a person of faith, you're a person with no faith, you're a person exploring faith, you're a person rejecting faith. The reality is we all have issues and we all need to learn how to deal with our issues. And the interesting thing about our issues is if you're a person of faith, you just might have more issues than your friends who don't have faith. Because following Jesus and not doing so well at that sometimes creates issues. And so even if you're a person of faith, you might have more issues than other people around you. So we started last week with my confession that I had printed on my shirt. Okay, so hopefully you can see it. So my confession is I have issues. I personally have a lot of issues, but wait, there's another side to my shirt. I'm gonna see if our camera can catch this. Can you see that? Everybody got it? All right, all right. So I have issues and so do you. So we all have issues. And if you weren't with us last week, here's just a sample of some of my issues. I have pride issues, trust issues, anxiety issues, attitude issues, control issues, commitment issues, temptation issues, insecurity issues, security issues, jealousy issues, image issues, comparison issues, coping issues, resentment issues, bitterness issues, faith issues, family issues, fear issues, failure issues, forgiveness issues, marriage issues, loneliness issues, perfectionism issues, I have issues. I have so many issues, I think my issues have issues. And so I want to give you one example of one of my issues. Happened about uh, several months ago when I was driving home from work. So I was driving home and I had a long day and I was in that like post-work fog. You know what that's like when you're driving home? Anybody like drive home, get home and think, how did I get home? Like, I don't even remember driving. Like, so I was in that kind of spot and I drive a truck. So I'm in my truck and I'm sitting in a turn lane. There's two turn lanes side by side and they're both going left. So I'm sitting in this turn lane and I'm in a fog and nobody's around me. Like kind of rare for us in, in Flagler County right now, but nobody was around me at that time just waiting for the light to turn green. And I didn't see this little car pull up beside me, little zoom zoom car pull up beside me in my blind spot. So I, I couldn't see him, didn't even know he came. So light turns green, I pull out and I start drifting into his lane. In, in the turn, I'm drifting into his lane until I hear honk, honk, honk. I look back, I see this little zoom, zoom car and I'm like, oops, I'm sorry, my bad. Got back into my lane, rolled my window down and, and shouted out the window, my bad, didn't see ya. That guy rolled his window down and said, you bleep and bleep, 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 and then zoomed off. Well, being the super spiritual pastor that I am, I started praying for this guy and his you know, eternal destiny, and uh, that is a lie. So I found that there was this emotion that ambushed me in that moment. Anybody know what that emotion might be? Anger, yeah, road rage, maybe, maybe you'll call it that after you hear what I did. 
So like I felt angry. I'm thinking like, are you kidding me? It was my bad and I owned it. And you're going to cuss me out? Well, you know what, little Zoom Zoom? I want to chase you down in my truck and run you into a ditch. So before I know it, I'm pressing on the gas and I'm chasing this guy down the road with my epic magnets on the side of my truck, you know, welcoming everybody that could see that to our church so that you know your pastor has issues. So I'm, I'm driving, trying to catch this guy and then the Holy Spirit taps me on the shoulder and says, hey Trent, what are you doing? And I told him, I said, I owned it, he cussed me out, I'm going after him. And he said, hey, how about this? After you run him off the road, would you invite him to church? Because I'm concerned about his eternal destiny. I'm like, oh, don't you hate it when God steps into your issue and creates another issue? But I am so glad that God intervened and stepped in to my anger issue. I have anger issues that sometimes ambush me. I wasn't in my truck angry until that event happened. And I think we all have issues that ambush us. You know, they, they kind of jump on us when we're not ready for them. Maybe you have a jealousy issue when you're scrolling through social media and you're just checking on the world out there, checking on your friends. And, you know, after, you know, 30 minutes of doing that and looking at every great vacation all your friends got to take and you got to take a staycation this year and you find yourself a little jealous of your friends. Maybe you have a control issue that ambushes you when somebody doesn't do exactly what you've asked them to do. Maybe you have a resentment issue that attacks you when you do something nice for someone and they don't even acknowledge it. Like they don't even say like, hey, thanks for that, like nothing. Maybe you have a loneliness issue, an attitude issue uh, that jumps on you when somebody tries to tell you what to do and your internal response is, you're not the boss of me. Maybe they are the boss of you. Maybe they are your boss, but still you might internally have that attitude issue, or maybe you have a forgiveness issue, a self-control issue. We all have issues that ambush us at times. We got to deal with our issues. So we learned last week, the first step to deal with our issues is to, what's that word? Admit we have an issue. That is the hardest step of the five things we're going to talk about in this series. Admitting our issues is so incredibly difficult. And I don't know how that plays out in your life, but here's some, some ways that, that I try not to admit my issues or reasons why I don't want to admit my issues. Number one, I have pride issues and perfectionism issues and fear of failure issues. So if I admit that I'm not perfect, I feel like I've failed. So I don't want to admit that. So... I don't admit in a moment where I'm not perfect. There are times I think I can manage my issues. And when I think I can manage my issues, I think it's not an issue. If I can manage it, it's not an issue. If I couldn't manage it, it would be an issue. So I convince myself I don't need to admit anything because it's not an issue. Sometimes I don't want to do the work involved in fixing my issue. Sometimes I analyze my life and how busy I am and I look at the work involved in that and I'm like, I don't have time for that. Uh, so I'm just not going to admit that issue. Other times, I don't want anybody else to know I have issues, which is really interesting. Because like we learned last week, sometimes other people can see our issues more easily than we can see our issues. So when I'm thinking I'm fooling everybody that I don't have issues, they're looking at me going, we see your issues. 
And you would have seen my issues if you were driving behind me on uh, Beltaire that day as I was in my truck. So to help me deal with my excuses for why I don't want to admit my issues, God said to me one day, he said, hey, Trent, how about we do a series called Issues where you talk about your issues to everyone in your church family and on the internet world? And I said, wow, that sounds like fun for you, not, not for me, not fun at all. We all struggle to admit our issues, but the first step to admitting our issues is to admit that we have issues. Here's step number two. To deal with our issues, we have to stop managing our issues. We have to stop managing them. And I know that that sounds like it goes against all the advice that we've been told. So we've been told, lean into your strengths and manage your weaknesses, which I think is true. But I do not think that applies to issues. Why? Because we are poor managers. We are poor managers of our issues, and I hope to explain that to you today as we look at a guy in the Bible who really struggled to manage his issues. And we looked at him two weeks ago. His name is King Saul. And uh, last week, we looked at King David and one of his issues. We're going to go back to King Saul and, and one of the issues that he wrestled with. And if you're not real familiar with King Saul, he was the first king of the nation of Israel. And like, he looked like a king. The Bible says he stood a head and shoulders above everybody else. And when everybody looked at him, they said, that is our king. I mean, he looks like a king. He was tall. He was handsome. He was muscular. He had long, flowing hair, I'm sure. And so if you're thinking, like, I wonder what he looked like, just like, look at me. Because he didn't look anything like me. Like, I'm the opposite of what King Saul was. So King Saul looked like a king, and he did a great job as he started being king. Uh, he didn't really want to be king, and that was actually kind of a good thing in that moment. But then God stepped in and empowered him to be a king, and he led the nation of Israel to uh, defeat several nations around him and uh, establish themselves as an up-and-coming world power. But Saul had an issue that he couldn't manage. And that issue led to him losing his kingdom and ultimately losing his life. So we're gonna focus on one issue that Saul had, this big issue that pursued him uh, most of his life. It's found in 1 Samuel 18, but let me tell you what was happening in 1 Samuel 17. So in 1 Samuel 17, the nation of Israel is in another battle with the Philistines. So the Philistines and the Israelites were in constant battles with each other. And in this battle, the Philistines uh, have a suggestion. They say, hey, instead of us you know, fighting each other and killing a bunch of you know, our people and your people, how about if we send out our greatest warrior, you send out your greatest warrior, it's a fight to the death, and whoever wins, the other nation serves the winning nation. How does that sound? And the Israelites were petrified at that because the Philistines had a champion called Goliath. Goliath was over nine feet tall. And he had been an accomplished warrior since he was in his youth. And so he came out and he taunted the Israelites every day. And the only Israelite that was brave enough to run out to see Goliath in battle was this little shepherd boy named David. And little David, what did he run out into battle with? Was it a sword? No. He ran out into battle 
with a sling and a stone. And can you imagine all the other Israelites looking at this shepherd boy? I mean, even King Saul, the tallest, uh, the the, uh, strongest, the best looking warrior they had was afraid to go face Goliath. And then you've got this punk little kid who runs out and says like, I'll defeat him. I'll take Goliath on. He's nobody for my God. And even if you don't know this story from scripture, there's a really good chance you understand or you've heard how this story ends, right? So who wins? David. David. David wins. He charges into battle with confidence in God, puts a, a, a rock in his sling, nails Goliath in the forehead. He goes down. He takes Goliath's sword and chops his head off. So a little gory. Sorry. Didn't mean to go that far. But that's how that, that unfolded. It's an amazing story. I think you should read. If you haven't read it before, you can pick up our spiritual growth challenge before you leave today. Or if you're watching online, there's a link in the comment section and it'll guide you through a Bible reading plan related to what we're going to learn today. But listen to what happened in chapter 18. Verse five says, whatever Saul asked David to do after that, David did it successfully. So Saul made him a commander over the men of war, an appointment that was welcomed by the people and Saul's officers alike. When the victorious Israelite army was returning home after David had killed the Philistine, women from all the towns of Israel came out to meet King Saul. They sang and danced for joy with tambourines and cymbals, and this was their song. Saul has killed his thousands and David his ten thousands. Now, I'm not sure how the tune went, but that's, that's kind of how the song went. So verse 8 reveals Saul's issue that ambushed him. Verse eight says, this made Saul very angry. So he swerved in and out of traffic, chasing David down the road, trying to run his chariot into a ditch. That's not Saul's story. That's my story. But here's Saul's story. So this made Saul very angry. What's this, he said. They credit David with 10,000s and me with only thousands. Next, they will be making him their king. So from that time on, Saul kept a jealous eye on David. King Saul had a jealousy issue. He couldn't manage it. He tried to manage it. It always got the best of him. Uh, He tried to manage it through music. That helped a little bit. He tried to manage it it through military conquest. That helped a little bit. He even tried to kill David. Uh, On several occasions, he threw spears at David, but David jumped out of the way and was able to escape. And then he spent the rest of his life trying to find David, chasing him all throughout the kingdom, trying to find him and kill him. And he even recruited other people to help him try to manage or deal with his issue. In 1 Samuel 18, verse 30, it says, every time the commanders of the Philistines attacked, David was more successful against them than all the rest of Saul's officers. So David's name became very famous. And that fueled Saul's jealousy issue. For Samuel 19 verse 1 says, Saul now urged his servants and his son, Jonathan, to assassinate David. Saul couldn't manage it by himself. So he starts recruiting other people to help him try to manage this issue that has gotten out of control. And, you know, sometimes we are just like Saul. You know, when we can't manage our issues, sometimes we invite somebody or try to recruit somebody else to our side. 
You know, maybe there's a, a conflict at home, maybe a conflict at school, maybe a conflict at work, and like you've got conflict with somebody else, and maybe you don't talk to that person about that conflict, and you go talk to somebody else, and you tell them your side of the story, and you leave out other parts of the story, maybe that, that it would come from that other person, but you tell your side of the story hoping that they will join your side in your hatred for that other person. Like We all do that. We all recruit people to help us try to manage our issues. We do some other interesting things when we're trying to manage our issues. We do this thing called deny. What issue? I don't have an issue. Other people can see it, but I don't have one, so I'm just going to deny it. Sometimes we blame others. You know what? Okay, I'll admit I have an issue, but you know why I have an issue? Because you created it. If you wouldn't have said that thing, if you wouldn't have done that thing, I wouldn't have my issue. So if you work on your issue, then maybe my issue will calm down. So we blame others. Then we defend our issues. Our issues or our, our, man, our attempt to manage our issues hide our insecurities. And sometimes we're so insecure. So we do everything we can to defend our issues so we don't have to look at our insecurities. Other times we escape from our issues and we step back from important people in our lives. We try to withdraw from them and, and we think that's going to help us not really look at that issue that we have. Other times we self-medicate. We surf the internet too much. We drink too much. We eat too much. Um, we do a lot of things too much, just in an attempt to self-medicate so we don't have to look at that issue. Again, we're trying to manage it and we're not doing a good job of it. Other times we rationalize. Uh, we say, you know what, I, I kind of deserve this. You know, after all that I've been through, I kind of deserve, you know, to, to have this issue, to be okay with this issue. And the reality is I'm not hurting anyone. So we rationalize our issues. We also minimize them. See, you know, it might be an issue, but it's such a small issue. You know, my spouse, they have big issues. My boss, they have big issues. And when you compare my issues to their issues, it's so small, it's not even really an issue which goes back to our denial. Then sometimes we maximize our issues. We make them so big. We say, you know what? I am such a failure. I'm such a screw up. My issues are so big. Nobody could help me fix my issues. So I'll just have to stay in my issue. And we don't try to get out of our issues. So all of these attempts to manage our issues keep us stuck. And you know what this is like? This is like playing the find the ball under the cup game. Anybody played that before? I mean, all of us should at some point, or at least you've seen it. You put a ball under three cups, and you move them around, and you try to get the other person to guess uh, where that ball is. No matter how many times we move issues around in our lives, pull up, open the cups, and there's an issue that's still there. Our issues stay with us until we learn how to deal with them. So we've got to stop managing our issues. Jonathan, Saul's son, refused to manage any issues. He refused to join his dad in his jealousy issue, even though we would have understood if he did. So we would understand. He was the next king uh, of the nation of Israel. He was in line to be the next king. And so we would get it if, if he said, you know what, I'm jealous of David. I'm going to hate David just like my dad. I'm going to be uh, after him and try to kill him as well. Like we would understand that, but he refused to do that. So in 1 Samuel 19, verse 1, it says, But Jonathan, because of his strong affection for David, told David what his father was planning. So anytime Jonathan heard what his dad was planning to do to David, 
he would run off and tell David. He'd say, David, uh, here's what you know, my dad's going to try to do. And instead of becoming jealous of David and reacting to that jealousy, he trusted God, that God had a plan for David, for his own life, and for his nation. So he didn't try to manage his issues. He did something way more effective than that. Before we look at that, I'm curious if any of you have ever heard of this statement before. I admit that I am powerless over my addiction and that my life has become unmanageable. Anybody ever heard that before? Can anybody tell me where that comes from? Step one of the 12 steps, A-A-N-A. It's a recovery step. And the interesting thing about these steps of recovery uh, they come from an interesting place. They come from scripture. They come from the truth of God. They've been morphed a little bit through the years for different audiences, but they come from scripture. And listen to how the apostle Paul describes this statement for his life. He personalizes this in Romans seven twenty one. He says, I have discovered this principle of life that when I want to do what is right, I inevitably do what is wrong. I love God's law with all my heart, but there is another power within me that is at war with my mind. This power makes me a slave to the sin that is still within me. Oh, what a miserable person I am who will free me from this life that is dominated by sin and death. So Paul basically says, I am powerless over my sin issue. My sin issue has become unmanageable. So to deal with our issues, number one, we have to admit that we have an issue. Paul's admitting, I have a sin issue. Number two, we have to stop trying to manage our issues. So watch how Jonathan did that. He had a potential jealousy issue, but he wouldn't let it become one. 1 Samuel 18 verse 1 says, After David had finished talking with Saul, he met Jonathan, the king's son, and there was an immediate bond between them, for Jonathan loved David. And Jonathan made a solemn pact with David because he loved him as much as he loved himself. Jonathan sealed the pact by taking off his robe and giving it to David together with his tunic, sword, bow, and belt. So Jonathan prevented what could have been a jealousy issue by stepping towards David and refusing to manage that issue. He handed David his future kingdom. So when he gave David all that stuff, he was saying, David, God has chosen you to be the next king, even though I'm in line for that. But David, I'm not going to stand in the way of that. I'm not going to get angry at you. I'm not going to get jealous of you. I'm not going to get bitter. I'm not going to get bitter at God. God has chosen the right man, and I'm going to step towards you, and I'm going to give this to you. Then he renewed his commitment to David in 1 Samuel 23, verse 15, says, One day near Horesh, David received the news that Saul was on the way to Ziph to search for him and kill him. Jonathan went to find David and encouraged him to stay strong in his faith in God. Don't be afraid, Jonathan reassured him. My father will never find you. You are going to be the king of Israel, and I will be next to you, as my father Saul is well aware. So the two of them renewed their solemn pact before the Lord. I don't know if you are impressed with Jonathan, but I'm impressed by him and humbled by him. Because I think, would I do the same thing if I was in Jonathan's spot? I'm not sure I would. 
I'm not convinced that I would act the same way that he did. But he refused to manage his issues. Like his father was trying to manage those issues and he couldn't because, again, he was a poor manager of those issues. He refused to do that. And instead, he stepped towards any potential issue he might have. And he asked God for his help. He also trusted God that God had a plan with that issue. And, you know, here's the interesting thing for me is that Saul should have been teaching that to Jonathan as his dad. He should have modeled that for his son. But his son modeled it for his dad. So sometimes we find ourselves as kids modeling to our parents the right thing to do in a situation. And if you're in that spot, keep doing that. Your parents should model for you, but maybe in this season, it's your turn to model for your parents. So sometimes we end up like Jonathan in that moment. And Saul should have learned from Jonathan, but he didn't. But we can learn from Jonathan. Let me share with you how I have been learning from Jonathan over the past several years and still learning from Jonathan. And uh, I'm going to talk about another issue that I have. So I, like Saul, have a jealousy issue. Sometimes jealousy ambushes me when I least expect it. I'm very careful about my time on social media because I find that after I'm scrolling through social media, I feel worse about myself when I compare myself with all the amazing things that are going on out there in your life. I have a tendency of comparing my rotten life uh, to your highlight reels. You know, all the great things. I mean, your life is filtered and looks awesome, and you always look great on that beach photo. You know, like, you look amazing. And then I, there are moments I, like, look at my deleted scenes in my life, and I'm like, wow, I suck. I, that person is amazing. So, you know, I'm careful about my time on social media because sometimes it makes me jealous. And I'm going to be real vulnerable with you here. There are times that I'm even jealous of my pastor friends. There are times that I'm jealous of how God has wired them. God has gifted some of my pastor friends in amazing ways. And there are times I look at their gifts and I think, wow, I wish I was gifted like that. They are so gifted. They are great communicators. They are great at whatever. Or I might find myself jealous of what God is doing in them and through them as a church. Not that great things aren't happening here at Epic. They are, but I can find myself jealous of that even. And you know how embarrassing it is to admit that? You know, that kind of creates some shame for me. Like, I'm ashamed of that. That should not be a thing in my life. That should not be an issue. So uh, here's what I try to do. I've been practicing this, practicing this for a while. Uh, when I have a jealousy issue like that, instead of denying it or minimizing it or blaming other people for it, I admit it. I admit it to God, and I go to God and say, God, like right now, I'm jealous of this person. And so I start praying for that person, and I start praising God for that person, and I start asking God to bless that person. So God, I'm a little jealous right now in this moment. Thank you for this person. They are so amazing. You've gifted them in so many ways. I pray that you would bless them with more gifts. I pray that you would bless their church in abundance. And as I'm praying that, it's not a fake it till you make it kind of thing. But as I'm praying that, I find that I really mean it. And I find that that jealousy issue diminishes in my life significantly. Here's another 
weird thing that I've done on several occasions. And it's not that I'm recommending that you do this. It's just something that I've done several times. Several times I've met with someone that I've been jealous of and I've asked them for forgiveness. I met with some guys over lunch and said, listen, hey man, like, I need to admit something to you. Like I've been jealous of you and maybe you've noticed a distance in our relationship and the reason is I've been jealous of you so I've stepped back a little bit and that's wrong and I need your forgiveness. Can you imagine how awkward of a conversation that is? Can you imagine how awkward, like what do you say to somebody who says that? Like, um, okay, you're forgiven, what am I supposed to do? So I, I wasn't really looking for them to do anything. It was something I needed to do. And as I did that, guess what? Wasn't dealing with jealousy of that person anymore. When I asked them for forgiveness, I brought it into the light of God's truth. I stepped towards that issue, not away from that issue. So those are some examples of what it looks like for me to practice what Jonathan has modeled for us. But what about you? Number one, what's your issue? Number two, how are are you trying to manage your issue? And what would it look like for you to step towards that issue and ask God for help? Maybe you have a control issue that you've been trying to manage and your management of that has led to anger when people don't follow your plans. Maybe you found yourself in relationships with people that you can control. And if you can't control that person, you back out of that relationship. Maybe your control issue has caused you to freak out when your spouse overspends out of the budget and like you're bent out of shape for a couple of weeks because they did that and managing your control issue is not working. Maybe it makes you think that you can prevent something bad from happening or something bad from happening again and maybe that's where your control issue came from in the first place. Something happened and you feel the need to control. So if you have a control issue, to deal with a control issue like that, we have to admit that we have an issue. We have to give it a name. I have a control issue. Then we have to stop trying to manage it. Instead, step towards it and ask God for help in dealing with it. Maybe your issue is a shame issue or a guilt issue. Maybe someone did something to you a long time ago and you're so ashamed of that. Maybe you did something you feel so guilty about and maybe your attempts to manage that has caused you to escape and self-medicate. Maybe you're drinking too much, eating too much, getting lost in TV too much, spending way too much time on social media. Maybe you're just trying to escape and self-medicate because you don't know what to do with this issue in your life. So if you've got a, a, sh- a shame issue, you've got a guilt issue, you've got to admit that we have those issues. We've got to, again, label it, give it a name, and then admit that your attempts to manage that aren't working. Stop trying to manage it. Actually grab that thing and step towards it. Ask God to help you deal with it. So I don't know what your issue may be. I don't know how you try to manage it. I don't know what it exactly looks like for you to step towards that issue. But I do know that God can help all of us effectively deal with our issues if we'll come to him. So listen again to what the Apostle Paul said. Romans 7, 24, he said, oh, what a miserable person I am who will free me from this life that is dominated by sin and death. I can't manage my issues. And then he says in verse 25, 
Here's the answer. Thank God. The answer is in Jesus Christ, our Lord. God is the answer to help us deal with our issues. He has the answer. And what he's asking us to do is to step towards our issues, not away from them, not keep trying to manage them and shuffle them around in our lives and thinking we'll make them disappear somehow. He wants us to step towards our issues and ask him for help. So here's two things I'm going to encourage you to do this week. Number one, I'm going to encourage you to identify one way that you try to manage your issues. So just spend this week observing your life. Just pay attention. When does an issue ambush you? Like, like maybe you're driving. Like maybe for some of you, like pay attention as you're driving out of the parking lot today. Like maybe your issue will you know, ambush you on the way out or on the way home. Just pay attention for your issue. And when you feel this stir of emotion, um, it, it label that issue. Like, what is that? Like, what is that thing? And then ask yourself, like, how am I trying to manage this thing? So that's step number two. Step number two is admit to yourself and to God that isn't working. Your attempts to manage that thing, it's not working. So admit that, stop that, and ask God for help as you step towards your issue. So uh, two things to do this week. Just observe your life. And then when you recognize you're doing some poor management, label it. Ask God for help. Bring it to God for God to do something with it. That's step one and step two. We've got three more steps that we're going to look at in the rest of this series. And as we close today, our worship team is going to guide us through a song that I have a love-hate relationship with. Uh, when I'm working, I have a playlist that often plays in the background when I'm working on messages. And when this song comes up, I often just pause and listen to it. I, I, I love this song. I hate this song. So here's some lines from the song. It says, God, you are a fire, the refiner. I want to be consumed. I want to be tried by fire. I want to be tried by your fire. I want to be purified by you. So God, take whatever you desire. Here's my life. Love that song hate that song. <laughs> uh, you know, grabbing our issues and stepping towards God with our issues, labeling them and stepping towards God is hard. It's difficult. It's painful. And it's like a refining fire that God uses in our lives to make us more like Jesus. But without that process, without that refinement, we don't become more like Jesus. We just become more like us. You know that statement that we say to, to other people or about ourselves, hey, I'm living my best life. I don't want to live my best life. My best life sucks. God's plan for me, God's best life for me, is to become a little bit more like Jesus. That's the life we should be trying to live. A little bit more like him. How are we gonna get there? It's through the refining fires of God helping us to deal with our issues. If anything that we've talked about today has stirred an issue for you, and maybe you need prayer, you wanna talk to somebody, stop by our care center before you leave, have a conversation with somebody there. We've got some amazing people there that would love to, to pray with you, pray for you, and to help you in any way that we can. I'll be in the lobby as well. I'd love to talk with you. If you're new, I'd love to meet you. 
If you're watching online and you have a care issue, just email us at care at theepicchurch.com. We would love to engage a conversation with you about what that could look like in your life. So during this song, I encourage you to just talk to God. Listen to God. And uh, this is a song that'd be very appropriate to sit for. So if you want to sit, sit. If you feel more appropriate standing, you can. Um, But just let the words of this song kind of wash over your mind and your heart as you prepare to do step number one and step number two in our process of dealing with our issues. So let's pray together. Lord, this is a heavy series. We're digging into our issues and how you want us to resolve our issues. But it's, it's so hard. It's hard to admit our issues doing step number one. It's hard to stop managing our issues. Lord, we, we really believe that if we manage our issues a little bit more, we'll be able to deal with them. And yet that proves to not be true over and over and over again. God, we are poor managers. Just like the Apostle Paul said, like, I'm a slave to my sin issue and I can't manage it anymore. So God, I'm so grateful for the power of scripture. Grateful for what you, God, have done for us. I'm grateful that the answer to us dealing with our issues is Jesus. That Jesus, you've stepped towards us and our issues. You ask us to do the same. You ask us to bring our issues to you so that you can help us effectively deal with our issues. God, that's a hard process. It's difficult, it's painful, but it's ultimately beneficial as we let you refine us into the people you want us to be. So God, we invite you to refine us. In Jesus' name, amen.